basically every friend that I have, either as a student or uh, with the other temporary visas, we are all out of jobs immediately. We are all working in hospitality. And then we, we start panicking, to be honest. I'm Danny Vallant, and this is Dirty Linen, the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. This week on Dirty Linen, we're talking about visa holders, temporary workers who are in Australia because we need them, because they're here studying, because they're here on working holidays. They keep our economy running, ticking over. If you've ever eaten in a restaurant anywhere in Australia, you've been helped along that journey by someone on a temporary visa. I've been really passionate about the plight of temporary visa holders in Australia since the pandemic began. They have not been included in most government support packages. They've been left out in the cold. As the link between poverty and virus transmission has become clearer and clearer over the months of this pandemic and particularly through the hard lockdown of the social housing towers in Melbourne, and as community transmission has increased during Melbourne's lockdown, the second lockdown, to me it seems even more obvious that temporary visa holders need to be looked after properly and that this old idea of Team Australia, which no one seems to be talking about anymore, needs to be resurrected and actually thought about properly. I met uh, Touche Bairakdar through my work with the Attica Soup Project. From the beginning, Touche and her awesome bunch of Turkish friends has been coming along brightening our day and just I I don't know just I it's been so great to get to know Touche and her crew so when I was thinking we're talking about visa holders Touche was the first person that I thought we should chat to and what I want to do this week is really um put faces or I guess voices to this issue and Tuche, thank you so much for being part of this project with me. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me actually. <laughs> thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak. Uh, you guys are so great. You come with your husband Alper. Um, tell me a bit about yourself and, and what you've been doing here in Melbourne. Um, I've been here in Melbourne for two and a half years now. Uh, I'm a student. I'm studying hospitality and tourism uh, in bachelor level. And I've been working uh, part-time in a couple of restaurants. I came here to gain some experience through this uh, studying. Um, I decided to be a chef in Turkey. Before that, I was uh, a geneticist and my husband was a lawyer. So uh, we decided to follow our passion and travel to through here and now here we are actually. Wow, it's a really interesting background. What makes a geneticist and a lawyer decide to pack those careers in and move into restaurants? So actually we were uh, traveling in Italy uh, together. Then we saw uh, small wineries, local restaurants. Uh, they were using their own um crops on product uh, beautifully and we said why not we can do this uh, in Turkey and why not we are not doing this right now and (laughs) (laughs) we didn't want to wait uh, until we are 50 years old maybe 60 I don't know and then we decided to uh, study uh, culinary school together Uh, actually I did even uh, finish my master's degree uh, for 
like in genetic uh, area. Uh, then I realized I am enjoying cooking more than publishing a scientific journal. Uh, so I said, why not? I'm doing this uh, like not as a hobby, but uh, every day uh, and like live happily ever after <laughs> with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's great. Your fairy tale. Yeah. What is it about cooking that you love so much? Why did it really lure you in? Oh, I like always thought um, it's an artistic way to show your self actually and you see the result immediately uh, I'm uh, I, I love seeing a result like you are doing an experiment uh, every day in your kitchen actually you follow up you uh, look what's going wrong and you can change for the uh, next time when you're cooking so like it's a great journey for me and it's so colorful and I like seeing uh, people's faces after I um, feed them with my uh, own dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very immediate and satisfying. Yes. You know what I'm doing, like either side of this recording. So before, the reason I was a, mi I was a minute late <laughs> was that I was making some uh, pancake batter mm -hmm. and la like I was reading a cookbook last night to relax because, you know, Honestly, <laughs> why not? Is, yeah, why not? Um, it's a very beautiful book by uh, a Victorian chef called Guy Mirabella mm -hmm. and this book is called Hungry and it's so beautiful. And I was reading a recipe for these oat and buttermilk pancakes last night in bed and you need to soak the oats in buttermilk. So I was already in bed so I asked my daughter to do it so she soaked the oats <laughs> and I've just made the batter. So when um, we get off this recording, not that I... Not that I want to rush it, but when I get off this recording, I'm going to make the pancakes yes. and um, I'm pretty excited. Yes. I like those daily transformations that you can make with food. Exactly. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm watching uh, some videos about cooking to relax. Yeah, right. <laughs> to yeah. spend my time. So why did you guys decide to come to Australia? Um, we thought like uh, we bought uh, speak English as our second language. Uh, so we uh, thought either America, Canada or Australia in the beginning because uh, I, I didn't want to learn a new language, to be honest, first of all. Then uh, I thought like uh, Australia is so multicultural and like there are lots of cuisines all together. And I think uh, people are uh, less prejudiced about uh, food. They like every kind of cuisine uh, from all over the world. And I thought, like, I can um, see those places, eat in them, and also uh, work with great chefs as possible. And um, also, I, I like to see as much as places in the world. And I decided this can be my first stop. Uh, then I thought, like... Um, why not? I shouldn't uh, travel here. So again, I, here I am uh, trying to follow my dream. So what was it like when you got to Melbourne? Was it like you expected, you know, with the, the multiculturalism and the opportunities? Was it, was it as you imagined? Uh, yes, uh, there are lots of restaurants, like more than I can ever imagine, actually. Uh, I wasn't expecting this many restaurants in everywhere. But um, 
it's like there was good times and bad times. <laughs> uh, when I came here for the first time, like I met with good people and bad people. And uh, at the beginning, it was a bit hard, uh, especially like when you're not uh, talking your own language, uh, communication wise, and you're trying to be so hard to be not an uh, outsider uh, along the others. And as a woman chef, you're trying to always prove uh, yourself more than the others. And But I, I got used to it, I think. And uh, the chances become better after that time. I felt uh, better about myself and the work environment. <laughs> That's good. Did you? Is it different to be a female chef in Australia than in Turkey? Uh, it is better. Uh, better actually <laughs> uh, it is difficult uh, to be a woman like not even you're not doing anything uh, there's a big pressure uh, on women and on female uh, on females in Turkey uh, you'll live with this feeling every day uh, like when you are on the public transportation when you're applying for a job on your workplace you're always underestimated you're always uh, under the risk of either being harassed or like uh, you're thinking about it all the time like uh, after some hours uh, you have to let someone know that I'm walking in this street and I'm got, I'm planning to be there at, at 10 but like if I'm not <laughs> just so you know you know <laughs> like wow these kind of precautions we have to deal with um like daily basis. <laughs> yeah, so you found Australia different in that regard. It wasn't that constant pressure. Yeah, like there is still pressure on women, I think, but not that much. Yeah. And I felt more free. Uh, like I got used to this feeling so quickly. <laughs> mm, that's good. <laughs> so you obviously you, like so you came here on a student visa so you you, you know that you know that that comes with certain conditions what was it what was it like you know when you first came here and over the previous two years um what was it like to be on a visa was it something that sort of weighed on you was it something that you needed to think about or was it just like no nah, I'm just here in Australia I'm having my life so like of course if I uh, could work more than 20 hours I would love to uh, spend my time uh, with the restaurants that I want to uh, gain some experience but I was uh, aware that I have uh, these conditions before I came here but uh it is hard to find a job as a chef uh, when you are working only 20 hours per week. Uh, they are, uh, because the hours are really long uh, in restaurants, you spend like at least eight hours, 10 hours in some place. And like that means two days only. And you have to convince the uh, chefs that they need uh, students or they they need me. <laughs> I can create beautiful things in 20 hours. Please let me work kind of a speech. <laughs> <laughs> and um, at the same time, it is uh, understandable because you have to study too. Uh, but it, yeah. Uh, but like until cor Corona, I wasn't feeling uh, that restricted <laughs> actually mm -hmm. so just for people who are listening uh, students international students in australia are allowed to work 40 hours a fortnight so 20 hours a week um and i mean the international students are 
in every restaurant, right? Like it's it's normal that um, international students are working in kitchens and front of house, but uh, but they, they, those hours are restricted. So yeah, it is something that both sides of the equation need to consider. Um, when the pandemic arose and, you know, it was a surprise for all of us, none of us had any experience dealing with anything like this. When did it start to become, uh, become apparent to you that your visa was going to affect the way you were able to cope with it? Uh, after I get fired, actually. <laughs> Not fired, but let go. <laughs> uh, because I was working as a uh, casual worker. Uh, they had to uh, let go of people because they don't need that many chefs in the restaurant anymore. Uh, first, they restricted the numbers of the customers, and then they shut down. So um, I I wasn't be- expecting uh, this too, and uh, things were going great for me, and I was loving where I uh, worked. Then uh, all of a sudden, uh, with my uh, friends, actually, every friend that I have uh, here, as a, either as a student or uh, with the other other um, temporary visas, we are all out of jobs immediately. We are all working in hospitality, and then we realize like uh, we, we start panicking. To be honest, um, what kinds of conversations were you having with each other? Um, we all came to the home like. Uh, it was re- really nerve-wracking, uh, so demoralizing because uh, you, you didn't plan for this. Like, there's no plan B. There's no safety net for you. Uh, we thought, like, um, I started doing uh, delivery services for a couple of companies, but that wasn't going so well. Um, actually, before we came here, uh, they uh, asked to show some money in your bank account uh, to survive in here, the amount that you're going to stay here. But this is not a local problem. Like, my country lives the same issue. Uh, currencies are dropping down. Everyone is uh, losing their job. Uh, my saving, uh, actually my father's saving, lost twice as much as value. And my father actually lost half of his customers. Uh, so I had to take care of myself <laughs> in the end. Wow. And and I immediately, um, you have a lot of time to think about the worst case scenario and you become immediately so um, creative <laughs> because you have so much time. And uh, all the scenarios in my mind were, the, uh, were really bad and we were like trying to be stay positive but we couldn't at some point so we just had to wait waiting is really hard in a situation like that when there's so much uncertainty and there are really practical things like paying your rent and getting money together to to buy food um that must be a really really challenging headspace yes exactly um we like I was uh, planning my life according to uh, what was I, I was uh, earning before, or what was uh, where do I live? Like, what do I do? I even moved into uh, this suburb that I'm living in uh, to be close to my restaurant, and it is a little bit higher than the other suburbs, but 
since I'm not working <laughs> anymore, it doesn't make any sense. So like it immediately puts the pressure on you and you don't know if you can make a discount, if you can break the lease, what's going to be the cost for this or like uh, even not rent. If I'm like, am I going to uh, buy some food? Like uh, I can survive for one month. What if this keep, keeps continue for three months, four months. I don't know what am I going to do. Like, these were the questions yeah. uh, we were all thinking. You don't know what to plan for. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as the first weeks of the pandemic um, ticked by, there were government support packages announced federally and by the state government. And Prime Minister Scott Morrison mm-hmm. said uh, near the start of April that if people were here on temporary visas and they weren't able to sort themselves out, then they should go home. How did that make you feel? Um, uh, to be vulnerable, to be honest, uh, like this was the first time I felt a totally stranger to this city. Like, uh, I, I even thought the, every smile that I had, uh, till now, maybe, uh, could have been fake. Like maybe these people don't, uh, want me here or like, um, I, I'm not in a safe environment even. Because I'm coming from a place that uh, our politicians uh, ignore the uh, minorities on purpose to like uh, because they have losing uh, because they have concern losing votes. But I thought uh, maybe it can be because of that, or maybe in the future they can uh, change their minds. But like uh, I wasn't expecting this uh, direct sen- sentence towards me. Like, I, I could have understand that uh, there is uh, no such plan for uh, these visa holders, but I wasn't expecting to be said, go home. Like, we, ha- we can do nothing for you. And just, like, we, we have to ignore you, basically. And uh, it, was, it was really demoralizing. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh- it, it, to me, it was such a misunderstanding of the situation. You know, as you say, you know, you've, you've built your life here, you've committed to work, you're in the middle of a course. Uh, I mean, did you consider going to Turkey? Was that something that you, the, was that one of the scenarios that crossed your mind? Uh, I thought about it, but um, I'm studying in here. I don't want to uh, be somewhere else while I'm keep keeping on my studies like this was my first thinking and second of all well, I am uh, like in a contract to everywhere like I'm paying my bills even my phone uh, bill my rent like everything is basically here so I don't I, I didn't uh, think any other scenario to go back but uh, like if there is no um, way for me to can stay here uh, like I, I had to go back to an environment that uh, I cannot find a job also uh, and I have to pay every, everything still in here and while I'm staying staying in Turkey and Turkey is not doing great either uh, the economy is going bad every day people are losing jobs in there too and like you cannot do anything basically <laughs> 
you, you're just like up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I know that a, a lot of people that come here on temporary visas and, you know, when they become permanent residents, like there's this process of investing in that journey at every step of the way. How much is it costing you to do your course? Uh, I'm For this course, I with my visa expenses, uh, it cost me $30,000 actually. Maybe more, if I cannot remember <laughs> the additions. Yeah. And the visas cost money, uh, everything, like you, you're you not able to access healthcare in the same way as, as yeah. Australians. I mean, there, there are basic expenses. It's a big investment. Yes, it is. Uh, it's not a, uh easy thing that you can pay uh, without any support, actually, or without you have to work. Uh, to me, like it, it's, I find it so disappointing as an Australian that there are, that the whole country doesn't come together to support people like you. It's like um, nobody knew there was a pandemic coming. No one was prepared for it. Of course, you don't have money in the bank to get you through this, uh, and you've invested in being here. You've come here completely legally, and we need your. We need your skills, and we need um, we need your manpower. Like we need we need you guys. Um, it's just to me, it's just it's so disappointing. And to, for you to say that you felt like every smile might have been fake, that really breaks my heart. It's just maybe not every smile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but still, even to have that thought cross your mind, and to feel you know that you to feel in that you were welcome and you were making your way, and then to feel like you're turned into this other, I think it's so damaging to a society and you know to our world as a whole. It's just, it's it's really it's not who we are as it's not who we should be as people. That's what that's what I think. Um, so, Tuche, at the moment, you know, we're hearing a lot about how the virus is being transmitted through Melbourne and a lot of it is about people who feel that they simply can't afford not to work. So whether it's casual workers who are going from aged care facility to aged care facility, um, whether it's, uh, you know, cleaners or security guards or other healthcare workers, a lot of these people are on temporary visas and they're not able to access any government support. What what do you think about this? Have you heard about situations where these holders are putting themselves in danger and increasing the risk of virus transmission because they're simply desperate? Uh, I didn't uh, hear anything like this because all of my friends has no jobs. Uh, I am the only person that still uh, keeps on keep on working. But like I can totally understand actually uh, the feeling that like uh, you're in the worst scenario ever in your life. Like, you know, there's a hierarchy of needs and like at the bottom, you need to have some air, food and shelter. If you don't have these, how can you uh, not jeopardize your job? How can you jeopardize your job? Like, how can you not go there? I can understand the psychology behind it, but... Of course, like I worked in a laboratory, that an environment that you shouldn't uh, touch anything if you don't need to, and like there, I couldn't risk my own industry actually. If I infect more people, that means this is gonna take more time. We we can't go back. So um, 
that's what I try to uh, explain my friends to. They are like the seriousness of this situation. Um, but uh, yeah, I I didn't want to be near in that uh, position, like for any person. It's the it's so bad actually. Well, you're I guess you're in a pretty unusual position, but having a master's in genetics and also being here as an international student and looking for work as a chef. It's yeah, I, I couldn't get rid of the gloves and the masks. <laughs> uh, actually, it is funny. It is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like it is a bit hard to work in both environments with uh, masks and gloves and being uh, considering every uh, possibility to infect somewhere or someone. <laughs> Um, so, Tushay, you have found a bit of work now. Tell me about the, the job that you've got at the moment. So I'm working uh, in an organisation called Fair Share. Uh, we are cooking for people in need, basically. And we are cooking uh, every day 2,000 to 3,000 uh, people, for, for 3,000 people. And... Yeah, we are cooking in giant amounts and I love working it there. Uh, I love to be in a circle that um, I was, I had to uh, empathy with the situation because I was in that situation. After I found this job, uh, it's like made me so happy. First of all, uh, I was working again. Second of all, I was working uh, for people like me and it's a, great thing to uh, feel because you're working for a uh, great purpose and everyone is um, chasing uh, like in a rush to uh, do the first thing uh, to help each other and people are working in a smile actually I never seen a place like this because like even in a best restaurant uh, you chase in order to be better but in here you chase uh, between each other to help each other like this is a great thing to feel <laughs> in a work environment yeah Fair Share is an amazing organization I'm an ambassador for them and for anyone who doesn't know what they do is they take uh, rescued and donated food and food that they grow themselves in urban farms uh, they turn it into nu nutritious meals for people who are doing it tough those meals are frozen distributed to agencies and then um, given out to anybody who needs them including temporary visa holders including people who are in the lockdown towers uh, in Flemington and North Melbourne so it's just it's an organiz organization that does good at every level and Tuche's position is supported through a fundraiser for specifically to employ someone on a temporary visa so I'm so glad that it's worked out in that way and that it's um and that you yeah you're just part of that circle of good it's it's really fantastic um Tuche I know that you've got big ambitions and aspirations what you want to do with your your food and and your your cooking skills tell us a bit more about that so uh, I want to open my own restaurant, first of all. Uh, I want to create an environment uh, without any discrimination, with an uh, open communication. Uh, after I sustain that, like as a work environment, I want to uh, work for greater good also. I want to work for uh, women and children. And I want to uh, 
create a similar organization uh, like Fair Share. I want to cook for uh, these uh, people because in Turkey uh, you can't uh, eat dinner in uh, fine dining-ish restaurants every day. Uh, there are a couple of them and even normal restaurants are so expensive. Uh, so few uh, people are eating these places. So I want to uh, make them feel special and uh make the food reachable for the people and yeah like uh, these are my uh, long-term goals actually yeah that's so great uh, well I, f- I feel like I want to apologize on behalf of Australia for uh, how you're being treated at the moment and how you're not being included and uh, my view is that you know looking after everybody is better for everybody uh, I think we can really see now that when people are put in desperate situations, there's a danger of them not only endangering themselves but continuing the spread of the virus through the community. So I'm sorry, Tuche, but I'm so glad that you're oh. here and I'm so glad. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad we met and I'm so glad that Fair Share is getting the benefit of your skills and your smile. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can't wait to see where the journey takes you. I think Australia is so lucky to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. I didn't want to make you feel bad about this, but I totally understand. I didn't want to make anyone feel bad about this also because uh, this is the situation, but I know I don't know who can I address the uh, problem. So thank you for this and thank you for uh, this opportunity. No worries. Well, thank you for kicking off our week of discussions with uh, people around the issues of visa holders. And I'm going to go make my pancakes now. Oh, yay. (laughs) Maybe you can share the recipe (laughs) with me. (laughs) I will. Okay. Thanks, Touche. Thank you so much. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.